Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As cold as a razor blade, as tight as a tourniquet, like the skin on a dying man. I don't want a piece of the world. I want the whole world. I make my own rules because it's much easier that way. Trust me. What's up, everybody? I'm Marcus D'Angelo, and you are back in the Snake Pit. And if you're watching on YouTube, things look a little bit different, and there's good reason. Jake is out, but we've invited another of the uh, masters. Yeah, Jake's out. Jake's out. Get out of here, Jake, because we got another master of the DDT. It's Raven. Dude, thank you so much for joining us today. Nah, this is an honor to do uh, Jake's podcast when he's not there as a backup for him. So basically, I'm I'm the extra who comes in if Jake can't make an episode and uh, and fills one in. You know, Jake's my hero, you know. I think Jake's the second best worker I've ever seen. And uh, and I'm not the first, so the first is somebody else. But the second best worker I've ever seen is Jake. And um, and that's a pretty high praise. Um, it is. Yeah, the um, – yeah, so – and Jake, a lot of people really know and realize that I've patterned, you know, a lot of my style after Jake. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is really cool for me. It's cool to have you here, man. I do have to ask. You mentioned he's, he's number two. Who is number one? Lawler. Lawler. Uh, that one's hard to beat, man. Some of the best yeah. working punches ever. If you watch Lawler in the 70s and 80s, it's just, I mean, it's just hard to find anybody, you know, that could do so much other than Jake. Like they're the, they're easily the two top workers I've ever seen, you know. And in some days, I guess maybe I think that Jake might be better than Lawler, but I guess I should have said he's better since he's on this podcast. But I thought it would provoke <laughs> conversation. But uh, uh, it'll be interesting to hear Jake's take on it, uh, so that way he can he can fire back or pro- probably agree. I think he's got a lot of respect for Lawler. Yeah, I mean Lawler Lawler never used the same comeback. He uh, you know nowadays everybody has the regular comeback, you know, and uh, and and uh, which is which the audience likes because it's a, it's a re, you know you do it every single you know every single episode you know you make the same comeback so people get you know can relate to it and they identify with it and then they can see it coming you know and see all the moves coming and they know what's coming so when something goes sideways it um 
So then that's become a staple of the business. But Lawler did it before that was a thing. And every week he would sell out the Memphis Coliseum, 10,000 people. They would sell it out every Monday night. And it was just crazy. I mean, his work is just so, as a baby face or a heel, he could talk people into the seats. Um, just, you got to watch. But if you watch his stuff like in the 90s, then, you know, it's not the same. In the 2000s, it's really, 90s is still not bad. But the 2000s, Lawler's falling off the apron. You know, he, um, yeah. but, yet, you know, but he's, you know, he's way older then. So you can't really expect him to be the same guy he was. But I mean, um, it's weird. Is even his timing's different. Like even his timing and his and his um, and his strategy, you know, and stuff like that is even different. Whereas, uh, although I, one of the greatest things I've ever seen though was when Jake, me and uh, I forget who it was was it Carino? Me and Carino were in an indie show with Jake, and he's a big mark for Jake too. And uh, and so Jake put on a clinic for us. That he went, he had some guy that he that was like 140 pounds, you know, against big old Jake, and uh, so he couldn't, and he didn't want to give the guy nothing because the guy was terrible, you know what I mean? <laughs> so he gave the guy like one punch. So you think, how are you gonna make a match like that go more than you know a minute? You know, if you're really good, two minutes if you're spectacular. He carried the guy for like seven minutes, like in ring, like, I mean, and made it believable and made it interesting. And that's the one thing I loved about Jake was that uh, if you watch his squash matches, they're always interesting. You know, he makes squash matches interesting. But then Lawler did too. Like Lawler did something when uh, he was wrestling Razor Ramon. I think it's one of the coolest things ever. Razor Ramon flicked the toothpick at him and the king went down. Lawler went down, selling like it was stuck in his eye. <laughs> And he comes up holding it like this. Ah, it's in my eye. <laughs> you know, so whereas Jake would have done the same kind of, would have got the same mileage out of the guy, um, would have got the same mileage out of Razor, but in a whole different way. You know, so it's just two completely different styles. But it's the uh, the creativity is uh, on both of them was just, you know, mag above magnificent to watch. And uh, was it, oh, I forgot what it was else I was going to add. What other adjective I was going to use, but. It was just magnificent to watch work, both of them. Man, I need to watch them all day. You can't do much better for your top two guys than than Jake and Lawler. And you know, let me tell you, whenever oh, I wait, wait, let me interrupt for one sec. And and I don't even watch wrestling anymore. So so the fact that I could watch both of them all day is uh, pretty high. Is even more high praise than you think because I don't follow the business anymore. Yeah, man. You know, all these years later, uh, all their shit holds up. You can still watch it now on YouTube or wherever. And it's like, ah, they're still awesome, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and that speaks to their work rate. And speaking of work rate, you know, whenever I I, I decided, okay, we got to get Raven on this podcast. Uh, one of the things that came to mind was actually right around the time that uh, myself and the, the gentleman producing this, my brother Dominic, became wrestling fans, which was early 1998. And you were in the middle of a heated feud, first with Chris Benoit and then DDP. And man, it's one of those things that all these years later, it's 25 years ago at, at around this time, uh, you and Dallas were in this this feud. And it is one of the most memorable feuds in my mind and of, of that era. Yeah, highly underrated, I think. No question about it. I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, and, and we can dive in if, if you're ready to, yeah, to hit sure. these notes. Sure. Uh, well, so at the start of 1998, you're feuding with Chris Benoit uh, at first. And after having missed your scheduled match with him at Starcade 1997 due to, uh, I think it was an inflamed pancreas. Yeah, pancreatitis. Uh, like One of the two most painful things you can get 
right up there with gout, which I also got from excessive drinking. So that was back in my drinking days. That was actually what killed, finished my drinking days for good was the pancreatitis because I ended up spending eight days in the hospital, eight days without food or water because they can't give you anything that passes through your pancreas because it'll continue to inflame it. So yeah. I couldn't drink any food. I couldn't eat any food or drink any water. They just had IV me. And it was brutal, man. Oh, God. Oh my. So I painful. Mean, it sounds awful. And Starcade, it was like this huge show. It was, you know, at, at that point, the most anticipated WCW pay-per-view ever. Really? Um, you know, with, with Sting coming I remember back. that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's, not, it's, not that I, it's not that I don't doubt it. I'm saying I just don't remember that because it's you know, a long time ago, 25 years ago. It is. And it's because Sting was coming back to wrestle finally. He'd just been hanging out in the rafters for like a year. So, I mean, it was it was a big event. So it sucks that uh, that you had to miss it. But you and Benoit picked things back up uh, at uh, sold out. Before we talk about sold out, I did want to ask. Um, it is hard to obviously associate a lot of positivity with Benoit nowadays. Uh, but at the time, what did you think of working with him? Um, I like working with him. Um, you know, I mean, he's a great worker. But my only problems with him was that he he um he had one speed and he didn't delay he didn't vector off that like he didn't slow down that much or speed up more you know like he'd always it was always pretty much one speed and um I thought that that he didn't the like that he was either selling or he was going it wasn't gradients you know like we talked about Lawler and the King. There were so many degrees to it, to both of them. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, no, I mean, I'm not saying bad wild Ben Worker, a bad worker by any stretch. I'm just saying, you know, it, 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 for me, I like guys that are more storytellers. They're more, you know, like Lawler and, and Jake. Not that they can't go, but I like their style style more. He, ben Wild's more of a Japan style guy. Which I which I appreciate, but I but it's not my style so much. It's why, you know, I went to Japan six times for six different companies, but I never tried to go back ever. You know, I only call I only went when somebody would you know called and offered you know some money, some decent money, and uh, you know because it's just not my style. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a episodic TV. You know, I mean, I want to have, you know, I want to tell dr dramatic stories. You know, from one episode to the next, you have to follow. You have to follow the story, the plot. You know, and everything changes from week to week. Whereas matches based on just athletic ability were, you know, for the for the sake of athletic ability, weren't my is per se what I was into so much. Which is kind of a lot of what you see today. You know, as as I watch Benoit now as as an adult, as opposed to when I was a kid. You know, when I'm a kid, I'm like this guy's ripped and he's he's really fast and it's, it's fun to watch. When I watch him now, you're right. It's he's got this real intensity. But if you're intense the whole time, right? Then, then what do you have when you're making your comeback? You're just the it's, same. It's like dude. it's like Chris Rock, like Chris Rock when he does a stand up. He's always like, ah, the man was a crackhead. He's a crackhead for the man. The man was a crackhead. You know, that's a terrible Chris Rock impression. But the um, but he's it's always, always his top. voice is what's that? He's always over the top. He's always way up there, and I hate yelling at my audience. You know, I, I want them to, as Jake always said, I want them to come in and listen to me. I want them to lean towards the TV and have to hear me. And they did. They did with your promos. Uh, some of the vignettes the, pre the prior year with you, you know, in like a, a playground or a empty classroom and stuff. It was really cool stuff, really compelling stuff. And your character was really beginning to pick up momentum here by early 1998. Um, and you also added a fun new layer here, layer here. It sold out with Benoit. 
you lose the match, but he puts on the Crippler crossface. And kind of the real story here is at the end, right before you lose consciousness, you get this giant smile on your face. Yeah. And it was like really sinister. I, I remember it very distinctly as a kid. Uh, was this idea all yours or who brought that to you? No, that was, um, I'm not sure whose idea that was. Probably Terry Taylor's or Sullivan's, I'd imagine. That does sound like some Kevin Sullivan stuff to me. Uh, but yeah, it was it was cool. Uh, it showed a new layer uh, with this character, just really twisted and fun. Um, at this point, early 98, did you feel like everything was coming together for you? Or were you... Uh, yeah, I really did. I really thought it was all coming together. And then and then it wasn't. But yeah. that's neither here nor there. You know, that's the way things went. No, it's, you know, I, I had heard, uh, you know, in, in previous interviews with you or something that, you know, the, the whole uh, WCW run was maybe, you know, by the end of it, you were left pretty dissatisfied. But at this point, uh, you're feeling pretty optimistic. Oh, yeah, at this okay. point, I'm yeah, I'm really optimistic. Well, another performer who had been on the rise like yourself after denying the NWO in 1997 was your old pal DDP. Uh, he had a match with Benoit in February, and you interfered with a DDT on Benoit, which cost Paige the match uh, and the win and uh, kicked off this rivalry. It's my understanding that Paige was really instrumental in helping you create the Raven character. Can you tell us about that? No, he was not instrumental. <laughs> he tells uh, us he is. No, that's what Paige said. Paige said, I go, man, I go, I, you know, I'm said, you know, I'm a great chicken shit heel. And he goes, no one's buying chicken shit heels. You're not to be a tough guy. So I don't want to be a tough guy. Everybody's a tough guy. You know, I mean, I'm a tough guy. I would be a tough guy in my real life, but not in the wrestling business. You know, there's too many tough guys there. So the page is like, no, you got to be one. So I'm like, all right. So he goes, you ought to go in that alternative direction, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And that's what he said, like them in Point Break. That's what he said. And then I created Raven. So you tell me how much how much uh, credit he deserves. Maybe maybe not as much as uh, as he'd have us believe, but yeah. uh, but no, it's I mean awesome suggestion. Well, I was saying, yeah, yeah, the suggestion led me in the right direction. So I'll give him all the credit for that. I mean, you know, that's like a finder's fee. You know, ten percent, fifteen percent. But he he didn't do any of the creation of the uh, the character. You know, although he did do some editing on the promos. Um, you know, like I would call him up with the promos and he would edit and he would be like, no, that's not it, you know, until I found it. And then once I found the character, then, you know, then it was all me. So the character but I, I came up with the name, the catchphrase, the clothing, the outfit, you know, the whole style, the look, you know. Was Paige in contact with you while you were doing the Raven character while in ECW? Well, me and Paige always stayed in contact, you know, not, I mean, we all, we're, we're, we're good friends. We're very close friends. That, you know, that we don't see each other all the time. But when we do, it's like we just saw each other yesterday, you know. I love Paige. Very, Oh, very Paige is amazing. Affable, energetic guy. Uh, certainly somebody. Yeah, I can't I, believe I, how much energy the man has. Incredible. At his age, my goodness. Like, we used to tease him for being older than us, you know, because he was older than everybody. And, you know, in, in our group, in our, in our social group, in our wrestling age group. And, uh. And we used to make fun of him and he hated it. Oh, it drove him nuts. And then now, you know, then 10 years, you know, look, 15, 20 years later, he's like, it's like, ah, I'm 75 years old and I'm going strong. And I'm like, yeah, holy shit. <laughs> I don't know how old he is. You know, he's probably like 63 or four, maybe. I want to, yeah, I want to say he's like 65 or something. I know he's, he's only like a year or two younger than Jake. Yeah, but he's like, but it's so funny how he went from hating being old to being just like, this is what you can do when you get old, you know, if you, if you, you know, do the right things and eat healthy and train healthy. 
man. He's living proof. Yeah, um, no, he really is. You know, I, I take nothing away from him. I give him all the praise in the world. Now, and he also, he's helped me. He's helped me a couple of times in my career. He, uh, he got me my audition for a Scotty Flamingo. Well, they made, changed me to Scotty Flamingo, but when I came in WCW, Paige got me an audition. Um, and uh, and they weren't looking to hire me because I had heat from the Florida Championship Wrestling. That's a recurring theme in my career, heat from the previous place. <laughs> but uh, the... Um, but the uh, so he, he got me my uh, got me a tryout, which led you know not audition a tryout, got me a tryout with WCW, and then uh, and then of course my work carried the day, and I got the job. Um, but if it wouldn't been for Paige, you know, helping me get the audition, the tryout, I wouldn't have got the tryout. Yeah, and so I wouldn't nobody would have got to see how how my talents had improved in Portland while I was gone. You know, while I left after I left Florida Championship Wrestling. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. All right, everyone, it's time to take a quick break to discuss a service that I absolutely love. We're talking about America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh, and how you can get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip the trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Guys, spring is here and the weather is getting beautiful outside. Wouldn't you rather spend your time enjoying the fresh air instead of grocery shopping or waiting in a long checkout line for overpriced food? HelloFresh takes the hassle out of mealtime this spring by delivering pre-portioned ingredients and easy-to-prepare recipes right to your door. And you never have to worry about variety with HelloFresh. They have 40 recipes and over 100 seasonal and convenient items to choose from each week. That's an option for every taste and lifestyle with HelloFresh. And the best part is, you don't have to be an expert in the kitchen to prepare these delicious meals. Their recipes are foolproof and arrive pre-portioned and easy to prepare in just a few steps. I recently got my box of HelloFresh, and we could not have been more happy here. We got garlic butter shrimp scampi, spicy pork burrito bowls, and cheddar stuffed meatloaves, and I cannot say enough about how delicious these meals were. Truly, restaurant-quality cuisine delivered right to our door, and we had a blast putting these meals together. After a long day of work, it gave my wife and I some fun quality time putting these easy meals together, and we were thrilled with the results. I guarantee you will be too. Ready for this? HelloFresh has got a special offer on their incredible service for our listeners. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Snake50 and use code Snake50 for 50% off, plus your first box ships free. That's HelloFresh.com slash Snake50 to get 50% off and free shipping on your first box of delicious meals from America's number one meal kit. Well, uh, Melter suggests here that Paige was looking to help elevate your character the way that Holland Nash and Savage had helped to elevate his the year prior. I mean, as, as this is happening, it's okay. Not only are you getting to work with your buddy, but are you seeing this as like, man, this is this is a huge, huge opportunity on a major stage? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, totally. You know, and and I feel like I carried my end of the ball more than you know, more than as as did Benoit and as did DDP. You know, I mean, we all carried it. We all, I think we all hit home runs or we all scored touchdowns, depending on what uh, analogy you want to use. But, uh, 
But it was weird then because then Benoit, as soon as he left the program, they just started beating him. You know, like Paige wanted to elevate Benoit too, you know? Yes. And then it moved on. You know, I, I think thankfully it moved on to just you and Paige. Nothing against Benoit, certainly. But it, it, when it moved on to you and Paige, it, it was kind of like this. Oh, Paige was red hot as a baby face and you were just really beginning to pick up momentum as a heel. So it was just I mean, as a kid, it was just it was fun to watch. And you guys were trading victories. And it's like, man, how is this thing going to end? Uh, so, yeah, it, it turned out great. Uh, I love I love the thing we did on TRL. Actually, I've got the clip of that coming up, so hold that thought. We'll, we'll right. get there in just a moment. But uh, DDP did have a variation of "Smells Like Teen Spirit" by Nirvana for his entrance music, and you got you later got "Come As You Are," uh, which was always something that really stuck out for us too. Uh, how did that whole thing come about? Did was that uh, from your input? Yeah, they, they told me that uh, I could have input on my song, so uh, I went to Jimmy Hart and I, and I said, uh, "Can you bring? Can you can you give me the ripoff version of "Come As You Are"?" Cause I, I just think the music fits my character, and then um and, and then I, if you listen to the guitar the guitar solo in it, then mm-hmm. the guitar solo from uh, that smell by Leonard Skinnerd. It's a oh. craziest mix, but it works. That is awesome. I had never yeah. put that together. That is too cool, man. Iconic music still to this day. Uh, some of the best entrance music I think ever. Um, uh, speaking of music, though, it's also notable that around this time you participated with Paige and other members of the flock in a music video by Ri- uh, Rising by Stuck Mojo. Uh, how did that whole thing come about? Paige and, Paige and I, well, Paige was, Paige introduced me to him, to Stuck Mojo, and we be, all became good friends, and then Paige wanted to do a video uh, with him. And Stuck Mojo is the forerunner of Fozzie. Is it really? Yeah, they're the, the guy, the lead guy in uh, Chris... You know, Rich. I mean, I'm sorry, Rich. Uh, Rich is uh, the main guy from Stuck Mojo. He uh, also is the main guy in Fozzie. I had no idea about that one. That is really yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, so obviously, uh, Paige's influence, I guess, has had some impact on Jericho here, too, if he's friends with these guys and bringing them around. Uh, all right. We've got this from The Observer. This will be the longest bit from Meltzer. Uh, it's from the March 16th, 1998 Observer. On 3.5, there's a heated discussion between Chris Benoit and Raven regarding their program. Benoit apparently has had the idea in his head from many directions since just about everyone sees it the same way that Raven and Diamond Dallas Page were basically using him to have great matches, but making themselves the strong part and the main focus of the issue. When the plan was made that Benoit would interject himself in their title match, but wind up being laid out twice, first by Saturn's rings and second by Raven DDTing him on the guardrail, he got hot in the dressing room, whereupon Raven blamed the setup on Page. Uh, what do you remember about this backstage issue? with Benoit? None of this. I don't remember any of this. So that sounds like some melter fiction to me. Yeah, it does sound some fiction. I, I, I think I'd remember that, you know, or at least I'd have an inkling of it. Um, and Benoit wasn't upset with anything, you know. Benoit, he was happy because he was being used well, mm-hmm. you know, because he'd been getting buried before us, and then they then they buried him again right after us, you know, was- until until they finally until he finally left, I guess, or until they uh, had to, you know. And I'm sure a lot of it probably had to do with Sullivan, you know, and and Nancy and all yeah. that. But, you know, no, there wasn't any, and although Benoit didn't like me at first um, and he didn't want to become friends, although we end up becoming friends, but he didn't want to because uh, he hates, like he likes to not be friends with his, with his opponents, you know, especially if they're working a program like that, because then he doesn't feel guilty or anything for chopping the crap out of him and beating the crap out of him, you know, cause he's, his chops are brutile, <laughs> but, um, you know, but uh, yeah, because I finally cornered him one night. I was like, why don't you like me? I go, 
goes, it's not that I don't like you. He goes, he goes, I just, and he explained what I just said. And then ever since that, we were totally cool, you know? Uh, well, I mean, any issues that you and he were or weren't having behind the scenes uh, certainly didn't impact you guys at Uncensored. You guys had a three-way match. And according to the Observer and the readers, uh, you guys ran away in the polls for the best match there. Uh, ordinarily, Raven, I hear... We did? Yeah, yeah, you guys were the best match on that poll. And actually, coming up, uh, your next match alone with DDP is also going to win best match. So, uh, Melcher... yeah, I don't recall. I don't recall anything in the, of Melcher with me with me ever being the best. Well, around this time, uh, everything I was reading was pretty positive. He was he was loving everything. That well, you no, were I don't doing. think he was negative. I I just don't think he. I don't think I ever got like what I do is like a rebounder. It's like Dennis Rodman, you know, like. Dennis Rodman is the only famous rebounder. Like what, what I do is sell, mm. you know, and I think I selling selling so important, but it's so it's so little used by most people, and it's not perfected as the as an as an art form like the rest of the businesses. And yet, it, other than psychology, it's the most important thing. And uh, and so, like you know, it's like the guys who catch the the guys who are doing the flips out to the floor, but the guy who catches them is just as important, but gets none of the credit. Yes. And I feel like I feel like I didn't get a lot of credit for my matches being great. They were great, the ones that were great, um, because of the uh, because there's so much selling based. Like you know, like me and Dreamer. I don't think me and Dreamer ever got the true credit for our matches that we got for you know our program. You know, our program got got held. You know, I would I would put me and him and me and Dreamer and me and Sam in against any two feuds ever. But you know, and uh, but the matches were spectacular too. But uh, I don't think they ever got the full credit because of how much selling we did. You know, and, and which is so in anathema to the people who like to just do high spots and the people who like to watch only high spots. The, the diehard fans still point to you and Dreamer all these years later, much like you and Paige. It was, I mean, there were two incredible rivalries. And yeah, it's, uh, you know. Well, I think it's, it's the casual fans too. I, I I just think it's the it's the smart fans that want more action. You know, I think those are the ones because they're just, and they're just smart enough to not really know what they're talking about. And to your point, it's uh, it, you guys were, were great at telling stories and you're selling. Yeah. Actually, uh, that's one of the things that Melter was putting you over uh, with here consistently. As I was doing the research, he was like, Raven is selling better than almost anybody in the business right now. And really? uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's I it, never it was, read that. It was showing up in your work. Uh, so ordinarily, I'll hear that uh, wrestlers say that triple threat matches are a little bit of a clusterfuck. What did you think about this thing with with Paige and Benoit? I don't remember it very much, but I just somebody had a clip on Twitter yesterday, and I I'll, like I only go on so I don't go. The only reason I go on social media is to uh, just to put on my podcast uh, once a week, you know, to, to link it, and then half the time I forget to put a link to it anyway, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and then I'll uh, just see what people mention, just to see, you know, occasionally what people mention about me, and mm -hmm. uh, and somebody had a clip from it, so I was like, I ought to take a look at this, see what happens. And, uh, yeah, we had some cool shit. I it started making me remember, like, we did a triple lockup and we did triple uh, sleeper. And uh, we did a bunch of cool shit. Like, to me, it's, it's just one more way to make it more creative. Like, that's why I liked hardcore matches. Because, and, and this is why hardcore gets a bad name. Because most guys just pick up a chair or a table or a pot in a pan and they hit each other with it. And the other guy hits them back and back and forth. And nobody sells, you know, for any length of time. Whereas to me, 
I, I use I like to me drop drop toeing at a guy drop to holding a guy on a chair is so much more creative than hitting him with the chair. Yeah, you know, and so there's so many more like one of the most creative. I've talked about this in other podcasts, but one of the most creative things anyone's ever done that I think is Dreamer and me were having a we're having a match, and uh, we do a double down. Dreamer, um, Dreamer, uh, he's down like he's a little, he's more beat up than I am. And he's laying by the apron, and Beulah tapes a frying pan to his shin, right? But she's down low, so you can't really see it. It would pay any attention. And uh, I go to pick up Dreamer when I get up first, and he throws a kick with the other leg. I catch it, and he ends the gears me with the frying pan taped to his <laughs> shin. I mean, how clever is that? I love that shit. And that's why I liked hardcore stuff, because there's so many more props you can use to make creativity, you know, creative bullion base with. When it's good, it's good, man. And being able to improvise, uh, the the ability to improvise that hardcore matches kind of provides, man. It's it can be it can be phenomenal. Yeah, and so that's the same thing with a three way. It's just more creativity, you know. There's more people. Just like it, that's why, I like I I really like tag matches, but I, I like the glory as a singles guy. So, <laughs> but I like tag matches because there's more people that you can do stuff with, you know. Absolutely. Well, uh, the next night on Nitro is pretty notable as uh, WCW is in Panama City, Florida. And not only do you advance in your rivalry with DDP by defeating Benoit to earn a shot at the U.S. title, but you also make a really fascinating reference. And we've got the clip of that right now. Unfortunately for you, you must feel the even flow. DDP didn't have to be like this, Paige. It didn't have to be like this. You and I, we could have ruled wrestling together, side by side. But a long time ago, you deserted me. You turned your back on me. And now, there can be only one. I know the snake is out there watching. And I know that he'd want it this way. Quote the raven, nevermore. So I had to throw that in there, uh, especially the reference to Jake. I mean, this thing, it, it whipped fans into a frenzy back in those days, thinking that all of a sudden Jake was coming in. And uh, it wasn't the first or the last time that you'd referenced Jake in one of your one of your promos. Uh, what prompted this? Uh, the um, paying um, homage to my uh, to the, to the guy I thought was one of the actually the one of the two best workers in the business. Even at the time, I thought they were one of the two best. Uh, I mean, at the time, I still do. I mean, it's just I've always felt that way. Um, the uh, and, and my hero, like originally my hero was Michael P.S. Hayes, not for his work rate, but for his, you know, his style and his, you know, and his, his charisma and so, more, so forth. Yeah. And that's who I wanted to be when I first started. But when I became Raven, Jake was my complete role model. I mean, there's there's definitely some Kevin Sullivan in there, too. But uh, but it's really Jake. You know, it's. um. You know, sitting in the corner, I got I got the idea from Jake as he would slither in the corner and pull himself up. I was like, why don't I just sit in the corner and just stay there? You know, oh, cool. and, then I, and then I use the same way he does to pull himself to get up from it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Grab the um, top rope and kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But um, although the, with my shoulder, after my shoulder got really bad, uh, it was like, oh, I hate having to reach up for the for the was, uh, <laughs> I, have my, I have my left shoulder replaced. Uh, like 10 years ago and it was so painful that I, that I held off getting the other one. And now, but the other one's getting so bad. I got to get the other one done in uh, this year. 
Oh no. And I just had my knees done last year, so my uh Selena thinks that uh she's that I'm she's replacing me part by part. <laughs> One piece at a time, like that. One Johnny piece at Cash a time. Look. Yeah. Uh, were you trying at all to get in touch with with Jake or to uh, pitch WCW on bringing him in at this time? I think so. I think so. I think Paige was too. Man, it would have been cool, especially seeing him as a member of the flock. Holy shit! That could yeah. that could have been. I always huge. wanted to be in Jay under Jake's learning tree, you know. But uh, you know, it's like it's funny. Like uh, Disco rode with him for a while, and I was always jealous of that. But I was much happier working full time. Than having to drive Jake around to indie shows, but by the same token, I really felt like I would have loved to have. You know, I mean, I missed out by not having to. You know, of course, it's, who doesn't? Who wants to have, not have? Like, you know, Disco would have much rather had a job, as so would I. So, because I stayed full employed, you know, fully employed for in the wrestling business for thirty years, you know, which is a, which is hard to do. Incredible, yeah. But um, but yeah, but I always missed out. I always was like, ah, Disco got to spend the time with him, the bastard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, imagine those car rides. Probably a lot of fun. Very interesting to hear his take. And I always yeah. hear you guys say you kind of learn things on the road. I, next up on the you, – you referenced it earlier on the, on the 329 episode of Thunder there to clip from MTV's TRL featuring yourself and EDP. We've got the clip right now. Beautiful. Oh. What's with the static? What's with the static? How come there's no static for Matthew McWannabe? How come there's no static? <laughs> For the food fighters. How come there's food no fighters. static for Diamond Dallas Page? They roll out the red carpet, invite him to MTV. Did I get invited? No. I had to get myself on the show. What about me? What about Raven? This guy's still talking what about, about me. He's all about himself. You don't what care about, about anybody Dallas but Page. himself. You ripped me off out of my US title. Ran on. And now brother. I'm going to rip you off. Quote the Raven, nevermore. Holy oh. Jesus. Yeah, the US title. This should be mine. This should be mine right now. In fact, I think it will be. Quote the Raven. Person? I don't know. Same name. Man, that was a high-profile gig at the time. Uh, TRL was was huge. What do you remember about that whole thing? The, the Foo Fighters nearly shit their pants. It was hilarious. <laughs> and, and, and I remember that that I, like that they took a photo of it and he put he was doing a diary of his trip or whatever. Grohl uh, was, and uh, and so he had a somebody took a Polaroid I think of us or a photo of us, and in it I looked like a Cro-Magnon man. Like the, and the photo was in Rolling Stone magazine, and I'm like, that's the picture that I get in Rolling Stone magazine. I look like a <laughs> look like a mutant. It's the worst photo, probably the worst photo, easily the worst photo I've ever taken in my life. And, and I'm like, just, great, Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, well, it's better than not being in it. Just happens to be with David Grohl in Rolling Stone, huh? Jeez. Yeah. I'm gonna have to find this photo and maybe use it on social where we uh, post this episode because uh, I think fans are gonna want to hear it after hearing that. If I remember correctly, the Foo Fighters weren't monsters, though, like they became. They were just they were just after like one album, I think, which was still pretty big. But I don't yeah. think they, they were the stars that they became. Although Grohl was always going to be because of Nirvana. But 
Oh yeah, another one of the biggest acts, you know, to this day. Every time they go on tour, it's sellouts all yeah. the time. So pretty cool that you got to do that, and, and really cool that you got to be on TRL and MTV. Like I said, it was red hot. Uh, everybody, it, I mean, the demographics lined up too for wrestling fans, the age group, and people who are watching TRL. It was just what a layup of a situation for you guys. Yeah, you know, it's it's a shame like that MTV was on its down on its last legs though. You know, like. It was, it was breathing, you know, I mean, it's, it's still around now, but it's, you know, but MTV was very influential for the, for, you know, and it, this was the, this was one of the influential period where it was up, oops, where's up there and it was up there. And then it was like, and that's where we caught them, but better than, better late than, uh, than not show up at the dance at all. So I, you know, even so, it, it did still do a lot for this uh, rivalry between you and Paige. And, uh, you know, I, I think helped to, to influence the audiences a little bit. Hey, guys, need to call a quick time out here. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my listeners over at OU didn't know for a while now about all the cool things happening over at adsfreeshows.com. He created the soundtrack for generations of WWE fans with some of the most iconic themes in history. Legendary composer Jim Johnston sits down with Conrad to take us behind the themes that we all grew up on, including Randy Orton's Voices. Got you losing your religion, all desire to keep you safe. But when rules start getting broken, you start questioning your faith. That's just a small taste of what we got waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, see for yourself why Ads Free Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adsfreeshows.com. And uh, the build to Spring Stampede sees multiple matches where Paige is chasing after you and you lose by count out or, and he loses by count out as a result. Um, it's certainly probably the most high profile feud of your time in WCW thus far, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, at this point, you're totally satisfied with the creative direction. Yeah, I was really happy. You know, I mean, it was uh, until I ran into Goldberg, and then uh, and then I think they still used me well until they didn't. I forget when they didn't. You we know, do the, we do have the Goldberg bit coming up, and I cannot wait to hear your perspective on it because it comes just one night after you win the U.S. title. Yeah. Um, and uh, honestly, putting you with Goldberg was was an easy choice because you were getting a lot of heat at this time, which is evidenced by the fact that you were attacked by a fan who pulled you out of the ring by the hair while you sat in the corner doing a promo. Then a week later, uh, Canyon would pose as a fan and tackle you. But nobody at the time knew that it was Canyon. So, I mean, the perception at the time was that you were just getting crazy heat. Well, here's the thing. Here's the, the funny part of the story is when the fan pulled me out earlier that day, like I had never allowed anyone to attack me from behind in the corner. Because I wanted to save it till the day it meant something, and uh, and it just never it was never the time in ECW, and it hadn't been the time at all in WCW until until me and Canyon got to that point in the feud, and um, and so I was like, man, let's let's well, I'm gonna have you uh, attack me from behind and pull me out of the ring, and uh, and now and that was that afternoon I told him that I came up with that idea. So it's so weird, 
So what happens is, is the guy is, so I tell Kenya we'll do it. And I said, we'll, get, we'll talk about it and we'll try and get approval for it for next week. So all of a sudden I feel someone pulling on my hair and time slows down. Like if, if you're in the zone, like I don't know if you play sports or anything, but like if I'm in a match and everything's clicking on all cylinders, time slows down. Like, yes. and in my head, I go, this guy, somebody's pulling on my hair. Is it a mark? No, it can't. It's a canyon. But we're not supposed to do it till next week. Did he get approval early and just wanted to surprise me? Huh? What a I can't. It can't be a mark. I mean, this is this is two thousand. Nobody marks don't do that anymore. You know, they don't get that mad at fans. Right. I mean, the fans don't get that mad at workers. I mean, and even if they do, they don't. You know, it's not like a regional territory. And all this has gone through my head in literally, literally a fraction of a second. I'm thinking about these things and I'm going, but is it Canyon? But it's the way he would have told me. No, is he's trying to surprise me. Is it a mark? And I'm going back and forth. And I'm, all this is happening literally in a fraction of a second. And I go, well, shit, either way, I got to go with it because my hair's being pulled. I don't want my hair pulled out. So I'll just go with it. And either way, if it's a fan, I'll get up and hit, I'll beat him up. If it's, it's Canyon, I'll sell for him. And I popped up and the guy was already taken. And I saw it was a, some like 80 pound guy soaking oh. wet. And uh, but security already had him and I wanted to run over and hit him. But I was like, I can't hit him because then I'll get sued. Right. You know, and I'm like, oh, well, I'll just go back to my promo. But all that all this occurred in like a, mi in a microsecond. It was and all like three seconds. This whole thing happened, which is it's wild watching the clip. And I was going to ask you, too, because like it, it looked like you were working whenever the guy started pulling your hair. So yeah, I went with him because I didn't want to lose my hair. Right. right. I, I don't know the off chance it was Canyon, you know, but but I was like, it's got to be a fan. But but I mean, but it's still it's the weirdest thing to have time slow down like that. Like one time when I was at um in, in my fraternity house, and I had a room on the on the floor where you on the, where you walk into the back into the back into the back door. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was staring. I was making faces at my buddy. Him and some girl were coming home, and he punched the glass like you know to to just to make startle me. But the glass actually shattered, <laughs> and the glass all broke up into little pieces, and I could see a piece. As it flew into my eye. Oh my god! Yeah, I got a piece of my eye. I mean, I got it out, but uh, yeah, it was crazy though. But like, I but all the glass was like slow motion in the Matrix, you know, like, and you just see it. And but but it's it's too fast for you to do anything. But it's but it's slowed down so you can see it. It's really weird. But that, those are two instances where that really uh, where I really recall like vividly time slowing down. Man, it's it. It was interesting to see it, and yeah, as soon as you popped up, I was like, oh, okay, because the guy, like you said, he was really little. I was like, oh, this guy's gonna get the shit beat out of him. But then, yeah, it's like you can't punch him once security's got him. Yeah, you can't. Uh, but, well, but then I just went back to cutting my promos. So, I yeah. mean, you know, like what what else, like any, people go, oh, it's so impressive. I go, why? What else am I gonna do? Am I gonna <laughs> bitch it? You know. And it kind of works for the character where he's just yeah. like this dismissive, like, yeah, whatever. And gets yeah, back to what he's doing. Totally. Yeah, so I, I thought it was sweet. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I should have, I shouldn't have, but I, I mean, I could have put the, put it over like, like all oh, these fans are out of your minds and stuff like that. But I didn't want to put it over. I don't want to put over the thing because I didn't want people doing it to me again or to other people. You know what I mean? But what I, people, right? done, what I would have liked to have done though is, is said, is sell it. Because, like, whenever you mess up as a heel, you need to sell it instead of trying to cover it up. Because if you cover it up, you're not really being a heel. You know, it's like when guys like when guys get injured for real, they try not to sell it. I'm like, what are you, insane? If you're hurt for real, sell it. 
you know, it's a free, it's a free pass to sell something new. I mean, and you got, and if it already hurts, now you got something to sell, you know? And, you know, there's a potential to make it a storyline later, you know? Right. Yeah. So no, I, I, I'm with you. At, at Spring Stampede, you you would win best match again, like I mentioned, uh, and you'd capture the U.S. title in a wild brawl with DDP. A lot of fans point to this as, and say that this was Raven's greatest match in WCW. Did you feel that way? I don't. Re- I don't. I don't know. Um, I think so. I guess I'm not sure. I, I don't really remember it's what match I thought was ago. the best. Like, well, yeah, it's 25 years ago. Plus. I always considered the Goldberg match the next day one of my best because I what I made Goldberg look you know so talented, mm-hmm. you know, and so that kind of over overrid things for me because of what I was able to get out of Goldberg, you know. Yes, and uh, man, you and Goldberg did make magic the next night. Before we talk about that, I want to ask: Corus Hogan is getting mixed in with the flock here. Uh, pretty strange, considering that his uh, uncle led one of the biggest groups in wrestling at the time. But he's interfering on your behalf. Uh, he, I, I think he hit Page. Yeah, he came out and hit Page with a stop sign, and then you DDT him for the win. Uh, what did you think about Horace Hogan and the flock? J- Jimmy Hart comes up to me one day and goes. Hey, Hulk, Hulk would like a favor. I go, what is it? He goes, he'd like you to put Horace in the flock. I'm like, sure. What am I going to say? No. Who would say no to Hulk? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially back then. Right. And uh, but it was it became a running gag, like like uh, Jericho and Conan. We used to the three of us used to hang out together and call ourselves the triumvirate of useless information. <laughs> and uh, and um, and so they were like. You know, wait, did you put Horace Hogan in the flock because he's Hogan's nephew? I'm like, what? He's Hogan's nephew? I had no idea. It was like a running gag. And then for for years, he goes, you know, like me and Jericho would be like, you know, Horace Hogan was Hulk's nephew? No. It was it was kind of square peg round hole at the time because uh, everybody knew it was his nephew. I think most of the fans knew it was his nephew. And right. Everybody's like, what What are we doing here? Um, so you mentioned it. When do you remember being told that the next night you were going to be dropping the title to Goldberg? The next night. They didn't tell you until the, the night of? I don't think so. Wow. Why, why would they, though? I mean, there's no reason to make me you know worry about it until, I, you know, when I get to the show, then I can... You know, then then you're kind of you're already there. You know, I mean, you don't want people going insane and running off and trying to hold up the show and stuff like that, which I would never have done anyway. You know what I mean? But it's it's just it's good company policy to not let the people know until the you know, until they need to know. Um, what what did you think of Bill's kind of incredible rise to prominence at the time? Did you think it, he was just a flash in the pan or it would last? I know. I thought it would last. I mean, as as long as it did, you know, I mean, and it would have lasted longer if they wouldn't have, you know, kiboshed him, you know, it was just, it was a freak. It was the right guy at the right time. You know, it was like Nikita Koloff when Nikita Koloff first came on. That's, that's a good comparison. And a guy that I hear him get compared to an awful lot, not just because of his look, but to your point, it was Nikita was, was red hot, right guy at the right time, much like Goldberg was. And a lot um, of it's just the build. A lot of it's the the stiffness looking of the work, you know. I think that was the the big thing with him is like, I know that that's what I was drawn to as a kid. Like, man, this guy is absolutely beating the shit out of people every time he goes out there. It was fascinating to watch. Yeah, no, he was fine. He was he was totally fine. What I forgot was until um until I, when I was in TNA, uh, Shannon Moore showed me. He goes, "Man, you had a great match with Goldberg on Thursday Night Thunder." I go, "What?" 
I go, I, didn't, I only had the one match with him on Nitro. He goes, no, you had two matches with him. I actually had a second match with him on Thunder that was actually really good, too. Oh, like a return match where you're trying to get back your title? Uh, I don't think he had the title anymore. Oh, I don't okay. know what it was. I don't know where yeah, I don't know where he was or when it was, but I just know that uh, that it happened because I because Shannon showed me the tape. I'm about to be looking this up after we're done. Yeah, uh, Meltzer was putting you over again though. Following this match, he calls it uh, Goldberg Goldberg's first major match of his career against a big opponent, and uh, with how hot you'd become at the time as a heel, it's hard to argue that point. Uh, he also points out that WCW maintained almost its entire first hour audience, which in which traditionally never never happens. It drew a 5.7 rating against a 3.7 rating for the WWF at the time. So, uh, yeah, super, super high profile. Yeah, that was uh, all me. The 5.7 was all me. Gotta be, right? I was just going to say, none of that had any of that shit to do with the Goldberg stuff. No, he gets like 1.2% credit. <laughs> but uh, it, it did have to feel at the time of the company. I mean, yes, you're dropping the U.S. title one night after winning it. But it's got to feel like you're, you know, the company must have an awful lot of confidence in you to put you in the ring with this guy. Yes and no. I, I thought that, but I also thought like if they really had that much confidence in me, they they wouldn't be. They keep the belt on me, you know. So yeah, it's neither here nor there. I mean, especially one night later. Uh, do you remember what your reaction was like? Are you just like, yeah, whatever, or are you kind of pissed when you? Get no, I was, I was, I was really upset because I thought it was gonna that my career was gonna take a downspin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which it eventually did. You know. Do you, do you feel that this was kind of the start of a downspin? I don't remember. I don't know how far into my run that was. Well, I do know that next, uh, you you and Paige would uh, have your final kind of match of this rivalry at Slamboree in a Bowery street fight cage match. Yeah, then I went to Canyon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, this was most notable because he put you in almost like a cross position with handcuffs in the in the cage. Um, so it was it was a cool match and uh, Paige gets it back. However, uh, I think Meltzer didn't like the fact that you you lost in the rivalry because it, it did not win the best match poll that time. So the streak is broken. Um, there's a rumor at the time, though, that uh, it's being discussed backstage. Have you turn your back on the flock and become a babyface and team up with Paige? Is that some fiction as well? I don't recall that, but it could have been it could have been discussed without my knowledge. I mean, the idea of you and Paige, especially with your history together, it, it probably could have worked. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be a baby face, you know, especially not at that point, you know. You would you would firmly establish yourself as a heel. And uh, the, that that kind of brings us to the end of the episode. It's the end of, of the rivalry. But I do want to know, uh, overall, what were your thoughts on the rivalry with DDP? I loved it. I mean, it was great. He's my buddy. You know, we have we have very similar psychology, you know, ring psychologies. Um you know, we both, we both are, he was mentored by Jake and I wish I was mentored by Jake, you know, um, but, uh, I mentored myself off of Jake's stuff, you know, and he's, I watched so much of his stuff to, you know, to pick up so much stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I love that feud with me and Paige. I thought it was really, really good. You know, I thought it was really strong. Me too. Me too. Uh, well, but, but let me say this though. If you're a good enough worker, you don't have bad matches. You know, like you, you, you just no matter how shitty your match is, it's still going to be a decent match at a certain level. You know, and if you can't do that, then you're not at a certain level. You know, so when you take two guys who are who are at a really high level and you put them together, you just you're going to have just really good stuff. You know, so I mean, I mean, Paige, you know, and plus. I find that there has to be one guy who's more who's who's going to have veto power 
like on the on the on the ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paige, Paige still did with me and him. And then after that, then I started to get my own veto power. You know, like, you know, it's not 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 against um, the office or anything, but with the like who you're working with. You know what I mean? Like, like people start to respect you enough that you go, let's not do that. Let's try this. Like I had that in ECW, but then I didn't have that again in WCW so much. Well, I guess I did with Benoit, which led to Paige. And because uh, Benoit was like, yeah, whatever you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and then with Paige, Paige kind of had, you know, the he had the final say on on everything between us. But then after that, I had the final say, like with Canyon and Saturn and stuff like that, you know, because, uh, yeah, you have to build up the rapport and the and the. And your and you have to get respect talent wise, even if people don't like you, they have to respect you talent wise. They'll. um they'll let you do what you need to do. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I, I do have to ask too, uh, in this rivalry with Paige, he kind of famously or infamously would like come to guys like Randy Savage and have like a big stack of papers. Like, here's what we should do in this match. And they would almost like, was he doing that shit with you? Uh, yes and no. I mean, Paige knows that I, that I'm a firm believer in, uh, in, Having it did if you did doing your homework, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so like I used to, I used to come uh, in ECW, I'd, I'd show up at the arena with a, with like six napkins taped together that I like that at each bar, I came up with a different idea that was at the night earlier in the night. I mean, the night before. And I'd write down, like, if I do uh, this, this, and this, and then I'd go to the next bar and I'm like, oh, I got an idea, this, this. And then, you know, I tape them all together. But they were the difference was a slight difference between me and pages. Mine weren't set in stone, but his were like, this is what we're doing. You know what I mean? Right. But which is which is weird because Jake is always very much every time I've talked to him about it, he's always like, you have to react to the crowd. Uh, so whatever's happening out there, you improvise. I agree with that. I agree with that. On indie shows, I don't I just call them as I go. Mm-hmm. But on, on TV shows, you got to hit time cues and stuff. And you can only play with the audience so much because it gets boring to the home crowd if they're if you're just mock, if you're working with the audience too much. You know what I'm saying? I think that's a really good point, and certainly something I never thought about. So that's that's a that's an interesting yeah. So with TV matches, I'm more I wanted more tight. You know what I mean? Um, and I like the fact that Paige came with ideas. You know what I mean? That he came uh, with a set of, with a set plan. You know, and Paige would always Paige respected me enough. You know, respected you know more than enough that uh, if I said no, let's don't do this, let's do this. You know what I mean? I did want to ask too. This is kind of just a bonus question because uh, you had mentioned writing stuff on bar napkins. I heard a rumor that uh, my brother here and I we live in uh, we live in Pittsburgh, and close to us is Elwood City. Uh, I, I heard a rumor that you and Matt Bourne were in a bar in Elwood City, and you pitched him the Born Again gimmick. Is that true? The born again, where he was like kind of doink, uh, like had like half the clown face paint in ECW. Is that ring a ring a bell? I don't know. I was, uh, I think that was the the one time I got super stoned, and uh, like I, I didn't, I smoked pot in high school, but I stopped when I went in the Marine Corps, mm. and I never smoked it. I mean, I tried it a couple times afterwards, but it just didn't suit me anymore. And uh, but I did. We we. Uh, we got high that night. I, I think it was that night because uh, with uh, the promoter and Matt Bourne used to live with him, I think. Okay, I yeah, because he was from Elwood City. Matt Bourne yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and uh, oh, I got so high that I, that I was, it was so miserable. that I think we took glaucoma pills, too. So that really, 
And pot, you know, that that level was so much more high, so much more potent like now it is than it was back when I was in high school, you know. So right. I was like, oh, I just want to, I don't want to be here anymore. Kill me now, you know. <laughs> so you just but, pitched uh, him this gimmick and got the hell out of there. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, for, for the most of the night I was, I was coherent, but then all of a sudden I took, I smoked too much at the end of the night and I just got, Oh, I was in hell. It was such an anguish. I was in such total anguish. It was a nightmare. It's a miserable feeling when you're high and you just don't want to be high anymore. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. Well, look, this episode was the best. I want to thank you again for coming on. And uh, Raven, I know that you're doing some work with MLW now. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's some really cool stuff. It's like um, they're doing old school Raven with a modern twist. It's just a, it's such a cool combination. Cool to see you still out there doing your thing, man. And you're also doing your thing on your own podcast, correct? Yeah, the Raven Effect podcast. Uh, we don't really talk about wrestling. We just talk about stupid shit. You know, it's <laughs> like three guys having a conversation, you know, three good friends having a conversation about whatever, you know, we think about. And, uh, and wrestling does creep in there. So there is some wrestling, but. But I'm like, yeah, you can catch, you can hear so much of me on wrestling on pod, other podcasts and tapes, and there's enough of that. You know, I think people like to hear, you know, what what you think about other things. You know, I think so too. And uh, this this podcast tends to be wrestling centric, but I will say that uh, having something like the Raven Effect out there, where it's just guys talking that you know you happen to have a history in wrestling, it's fascinating. I've I've heard the podcast. I think it's great. So again, that's the Raven Effect podcast. Go and check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Anything else you got going on, man? Yeah, cameo.com. Uh, you know, I do a video shout out. You know, how cameo.com works and. Uh, for me to break up with your old lady or tell her her feet smell and wear socks to bed because her feet smell, I'll do that for you. You know, all the all the pleasantries that need to be said. You what know? a life what a life hack, dude. Because, I mean, when you're breaking up with a chick, sometimes she'll fucking hit you. So let Raven break up with your girl for yeah. you. Go to cameo.com forward slash Raven Prime 1 and get your cameo from the leader of the flock today. Raven, thank you again so much for joining us, my friend. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks. We'll catch you next time right here on The Snake Pit. As an adult, don't we all miss spring break? Nothing like taking a week off from all your responsibilities. Well, here's the next best thing for adults, a spring break from house payments. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of all your credit card debt, just like that. We're routinely helping our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but check this out. No house payments for two months at SaveWithConrad.com.